everybody. What is going on? Welcome, 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 welcome. Yes, that's five welcomes. At least I think that was five welcomes. Mm, I went to public school. I wasn't great at math. Hopefully that was five. But you are on listening to, watching, whatever, the Everyday Missionary Podcast. This is episode 196, I think it is. I almost wanted to say one billion, but that's a long way away. So maybe I'll keep the podcast going, like in the new heaven and new earth. Like that could be, I could get to a billion doing it that way because like, Man, there's going to be so many different options, but if we have some flexibility to do the things we like to do, who knows, I might have the podcast. Now, before I get a little underway with the topic of the day, a moment of kind of like how interesting, right? So uh, I'm actually getting this out a little later than normal. So uh, we've kind of bumped the days a little bit. I normally try to record now on uh, Wednesday. We upload it to the powers that be. They do what they do with it, and then they kind of put it out there for content listening or whatever, and it goes live on Thursday right around now, right? But now it's Thursday. I'm not even doing this till now, and they're finally going to get it later, and this is how I torture the people of my life. I'm not responsible with my timeline, but that's not really what drove it. So this is a little micro podcast before the actual podcast, but uh, this was one of those weeks that just, you know how you have weeks that are incredibly discouraging? Like, it just seems like the discouragement comes from 50 different directions, and it just swallows you. And what's so hard about that is it's amazing. We talk a lot about in Christianity about free will, and I'm convinced we don't have a lot of it. I know there's a lot of people like, no, we have tons of free will. And I'm like, no, I really don't believe we have much free will. And this week was a case of that, where when you get all these discouraging things that come your way, you do not have the freedom to simply say, hey, dear part part of my brain that's working on this. Would you do me a favor? Close the curtains, turn off the lights and shut this off for a while. So I don't have to think about it. It's like stuff just gets shoved to the front of your brain that you didn't invite. You don't want to think about these things, but they just kind of pile on and you can't shake them loose. And you're spinning them around in your head like 50,000 times. Well, that was this week for me. And so from that, I was just like, man, I don't want to do the podcast. I don't want to work on a sermon, much less, you know, some of the other things I have to do. I was just swamped and swallowed by all of this stuff. Um, But what I've learned as I get older is that if I will just try to burn more energy talking to God about those things than I do trying to spin them around in my head, um, they seem to wear off faster, right? And so now it's Thursday. I woke up today and I'm like, man, I feel good. I feel ready to go. I feel ready to do things. The discouraging things didn't go away, but there's just something about don't allow yourself to get mired in that. And I think a lot of it has to do is where we set our mind, right? So Paul talks about mindsets in Romans 8. You set your mind on the flesh, it's going to reap death and decay. You set your mind on the spirit. It's going to release uh, joy and life and peace in that. And so it's so true. So I guess that's just an encouragement to you as I'm starting the podcast today. I know many of us have discouraging things that are happening in our life right now that have happened recently. This last year has had all sorts of things. I think some of the simple antidotes are this. Don't grumble and complain, right? Like maybe you have that person, you get it off your chest. As my wife said to me this week, like, Matt, you just got to get it off your chest, say it to me, but then move on. And I'm like, that's really good. So sometimes it's that. Don't stay in the pattern of grumbling and complaining. Another one is definitely don't grumble and complain to the disbelieving people in your life because we're meant to be models of something different where Jesus gives us a joy and a peace and a contentment and a purpose beyond the problems. And if we're constantly grumbling and complaining about our problems, we're really not displaying much of the power of the spirit in our lives. And so maybe that's another little helpful hint. Another one is 
feed right things, don't feed wrong things. And so feed a mindset on the spirit, don't feed a mindset on the flesh. That just takes you to darker places, bummed places, discouraged places. And sometimes after a while, whatever the things that started the discouragement, whatever they were, eventually you don't even remember what those are. You've just got yourself way down a road of discouragement and sort of... um, a depressed spirit. Uh, and I find that when I have a depressed spirit, the only way I'm going to get out of that is I press my spirit into the Holy Spirit and that will kind of release that depressive thing in me. And so uh, just some things that I'd, I'd gone through this week, just some encouragements to you very briefly. Again, it's so easy to just kind of set our gaze on problems instead of setting our gaze on Jesus, who is the solution and being reminded of the fact that, you know what, again, this life is short. If we seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, everything else gets taken care of. But if we worry about all the problems that we have, then we just get sucked into the worrisome problems. And I think that's why Jesus said that in Matthew chapter six, he talks about worry and then he talks about seeking first the kingdom and everything else will be added to you. And he's like, I think it's juxtaposed there. Like when you worry, you're not focused on kingdom stuff. You're focused on your little K kingdom problems. And, and yet if we focus on his big K kingdom problems, you know, then it's almost like we get distracted by the little things and we can focus on his big things. And that's just a little bit more liberating. So Anyway, that was just a freebie on my heart. It's why this is going out late this week. Um, you know, it was really, at first I'm like, I'm just going to not do it. Like I almost just, like I said, reached out to the powers of being and last night say, I'm, I'm just too spent. I'm, I'm, I'm too weighed down. You know, my heart's a little broken, all those things. I can't do it. Uh, but God is faithful and his mercies are new every morning. And I, I found that just, man, I got a good night's sleep. I did a bunch of physical labor yesterday for a, a friend of mine here in the community. Uh, and, uh, I just woke up like, man, I'm ready to go. Let's do this. Let's take on Satan. Let's kick in the door of hell, man. Let's make this happen. So pretty cool stuff. So I'm feeling really good after feeling really, really miserable. So anyway, God is good. God's on the throne. Jesus is doing stuff. The kingdom is moving. And yes, we are meant to be everyday missionaries. Now for the topic of the day, if I can even get my head back onto that, um, But I was reading an article, one of the websites I go to, I'm always trying to encourage different things, whether it be blogs or podcasts or whatever else. Maybe this is the encouragement of the day, but I say, I I give this as an encouragement in the sense of like, with caution, right? Because it's a website that sometimes drives me completely nuts. And other times ago, it's kind of interesting. Um, I think part of what drives me nuts is that ultimately it's a Christian website that's having to make money to keep things going. I get that. And so from that, they suffer from a bit of clickbait or just incendiary titles. They don't need to do that. Or articles of frankly, sometimes ago that article was super lame. And other times ago, that article was really helpful and good. So it's a grab bag. It's like you're putting your hand blindly into a bag and you're either going to pull out candy or you're going to pull out cough drops. Like it's kind of like that. So you just, you reach in, you find out what you're going to get, but it's called the Christian post, uh, christianpost.com. And there was an article on it today that I was reading and I thought, man, I'm going to talk about this because I think it's, it's one of those dangers that has a flip side danger and the flip side danger has already been in play, which is creating the danger this guy sees. And therefore it's a cyclical problem. So there was an article on there today and it was titled, let me scroll to the top here. For those of you who are watching, you'll be like, Oh, he's just looking down at the screen. So it's titled leftist ideology permeating church, extremely dangerous to the body of Christ. Pastor warns. And this is, uh, uh, an article pertaining to a book called The Christian Left by Lucas Miles uh, that is now trending on Amazon, like top number one in three different categories. And in the article, he's talking about how, you know, in the last 
36 months. He's seen more and more churches flying, you know, Black Lives Matter flags and rainbow flags and pushing Marxist ideology and talking about critical race theory and all these types of things. And so you're seeing pastors and religious leaders that are beginning to use language from the left. And all of those things are going to destroy the church, right? That's kind of what he's looking at because it's just this slow ooze to accept everything in the world, all pro-transgender stuff all pro, you know, whatever Marxist ideas, I mean, you name it, intersectionality, all the buzzwords that are going on today. Like, he makes sure to pack all of those in. Now, I can go multiple directions with this, and, and I'm not going to try to do it exhaustively, because what I'm trying to do is get out of the weeds a little bit and kind of up into the stratosphere, which is sort of what I tend to do with this podcast. I'm not trying to be uh, a, a modern Pharisee that rewrites the code of the law of the Mishnah, the 3,000 extra laws written out of the Bible, and then I tell everybody, this is how we're good Christians. Do my new 3,000 laws, and we're all going to do great. So I try to steer clear a little bit of particular application, and instead I just want to create tension that causes us to go to the spirit and say, all right, Holy Spirit, what, where do you want me to draw my borders on things? And, and what principles do I use to draw those borders? Because what I do find is in Romans 14, there is this topic of kind of gray areas, things that the Bible doesn't specifically address. And for some people it's okay. And for other people it's wrong. And I've talked about that before on the podcast. And so my heart sometimes in this is to say, let's just try to think as kingdom minded as possible. Let's keep Jesus. Jesus, the front and center point of our vision, because we don't have a religion. We don't even, frankly, have a book. We have a person named Jesus, right? The book tells us about Jesus. The book shows us the heart of Jesus and the things that Jesus asks us to do. We want to make sure, though, that the book doesn't replace Jesus. We want to make sure that the religion doesn't replace the book. The list goes on and on and on. But Jesus is the center of what we do. So with that, as soon as I saw this article and I was reading it, I was looking at the content of the book, here were the lights on the dash for me that I was concerned about. And and, and the first, and, and this is probably the most fundamental thing I've been thinking about lately, but the first is this notion that says uh, leftist ideology in the church is what threatens the church. The problem with that is equally uh, right-leaning ideology, conservative ideology is very baked into the evangelical church and very much is hurting the evangelical church. So this notion that says, oh, if the left comes in, it's going to destroy the church. We're, we're forgetting that the church is already contaminated by a lot of hard right-leaning ideology as well. Now, this is not for me to be saying that, again, if you're a Republican, you're bad. And if you're a Democrat, you're bad or you're good on either way. That That's, that's not my heart. My heart is this idea that somehow the church... You know, if the left comes in, destroys it, it's like forgetting if the right comes in, it destroys it. Because as I've said before, the kingdoms of this world will be supplanted one day. So the ideology of the right and the ideology of the left, they're both ideologies of what the book of Revelation calls Babylon, right? These are the ideologies ultimately of a fallen world, as is every other ideology. It doesn't matter what it is. So if we're talking about hard socialism or soft socialism or communism or capitalism or, or you know, libertarianism or whatever, all of that is, is 
sinful human beings with very finite minds trying to figure out how to both help and prevent other sinful human beings from doing things, right? So they want to help them by trying to make the world a better place for them, but also want to prevent them from being destructive or harmful or self-seeking or whatever in the process. And so everybody's just moving all the deck chairs around on the Titanic, but the Titanic, which is the nations of this world, will sink, right? That's just the simple fact. And so what we have to always keep aware of is every system stands as a threat to the church, right? Every ideology stands as a threat to the kingdom. And here's the reason, right? Think about again, here's Jesus. He is before his accusers. Uh, In particular, he's before a political leader, right? He's before Pilate. And Pilate's wanting to understand, all right, we're hearing a lot of rumblings about you starting a kingdom, but we've already got a kingdom, right? It's called Rome. It's run by a dude in a big city far away. We're here to make sure that continues to move on. But now we're hearing about you getting all these followers. You're talking about this new kingdom that's different. And are you a threat? Do we need to execute you as a revolutionary? Are you somebody that's trying to actually depose the kingdom that rules in this world now with some kingdom that you think you can start here in the sticks of Palestine, right? Is that, that, that's kind of the question. And then Jesus says, hey, this kingdom that I'm starting is not like the kingdoms of this world. In fact, it's nothing like the kingdom of this world or any kingdom the world has ever seen or any kingdom the world will ever see again under the might of people. He goes, it's not like that. If it were, then my people would be grabbing swords and going to war in the streets and everything else, but my kingdom is different. And that's why we go back to places like the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain. We look at things like the fruit of the spirit and we look at the definition of love and First Corinthians, all these things that I really try to highlight here. Because that's how the kingdom is felt in the world. Those are defining features, right? And therefore, what our identity should be is not an identity of the left, and it's not an identity of the right. And I'm talking about here in the United States, right? And our identity should not even be moderate. Our identity should not be, I'm libertarian, or I'm I'm a Democrat, or I'm a Republican. It's like, we might vote those ways, but that shouldn't be our identity. That shouldn't be the bumper sticker on the back of our car. Now, I know right now some of you are like, well, I've got a bumper sticker on the back of my car. I I mean it more in spirit, all right? Like, I got you get bumper stickers on the back of your car. Frankly, I'm not a big bumper sticker guy, all right? So, at least ones that have some kind of ideological statement. Not a big fan of that, but that's just me. That's an opinion. That's Romans 14. That's a gray area, all right? Um, But I think the deeper heart here is that we as Christians, what we should be most known for is not our pro or anti positions on things that are generally politicized. What we should be known for is, wow, those people, they they exhibit these things like they think they're blessed when they mourn and they think they're blessed when they're persecuted. And they're more fixated on being light to the world in such a way that people can see that they're good people that want to do good things and good ways for the benefits of others. And so they seem to do it that way. And when they have conflicts in their relationships, they don't gossip about one another. They don't slander one another. They don't tell their friends about how their other friend did a bad thing, but rather they drop everything and they go and they try to make it right. Like how bizarre is that? And, and you know what? When I've done dealings with them, they have never once made it where I needed to have an attorney get involved because they just let their yes be yes and their no be no and they keep their word. And 
And yeah, they lost money in the process, but you know what? Their word was more important than their money. Like these people are super strange. And then they give their money away to the poor and the needy and for the purposes of their belief system. Like they don't feel like they need to hold on and hoard it because they believe that giving money away is a sign of their worship to God. These people are so strange, you know? It's like, how do they do this? And then they talk to their God a lot. Like that's a big thing. They pray a lot to him and they kind of have different ways that they do that. But it's all about forgiving others as they have been forgiven and seeking that the kingdom that they believe is the most blessed for the world would come into play. And man, we could go on and on with that. They don't seem to judge other people. They have a sense of wisdom in the fact that when they see somebody doing something wrong, they want to gently come alongside and help them more than they want to ostracize them, wag a finger at them, take them on in some way, shame them, tell them they're dumb, they don't understand. I mean, again, you get my point, right? I'm just simply walking through the Sermon on the Mount in my mind right now and saying those are sort of the priorities. They love their God and they love their neighbor. And both of those are important. And those sometimes have tension for them, but they deal with the tension. Like all of that is how we should be known. We should not be known by all the other things that sometimes we are known for. And this is where this idea of saying, well, leftist ideology will hurt the church. I go, right. But conservative right-leaning ideology has already done that, which is why so many people are pulling away and why there's a pressure to see leftist thought injected into the church because it's seen as an antidote to the right line leaning stuff that's been in the church now for a long time. You've got people in the church saying we are toxic when it comes to our politics already in evangelicalism. And instead of the solution being, we need to get back to Jesus, the solution comes, well, whatever the problem is, you find the opposite, you inject it in, and that should bring at least balance. And I think even some people are saying it that way. Like, we just need balance to the toxin of the right by bringing in the toxin of the left, and hopefully from that, what you're going to get is balance. What you get instead is division and more toxin. That's going to be what comes out of these things. And so this is where more than ever... We need to realize that the great threat inside the church today is not left or right necessarily. The great threat is thinking that either one of those will act as a savior that can produce in our culture a type of earthly heaven, right? So politics are becoming the new religion. And Pastor Scott and I have been having this discussion recently, and he sent me an article from an individual that was a very fascinating article because this person was lamenting how politics are replacing religion, and he's seeing it in his Catholic roots. And he's a gay man in a Catholic church that sees all of this happening, and he's kind of articulating this from the perspective of, I'm inside the church, I'm already treated as an outsider, but I, I stay loyal because I really believe in God, even though the church kind of does not believe in me in some ways. He goes, but what I'm seeing is the people inside the church believe that politics will change things more than Jesus, that the kingdom will not have the impact on the world that can have because it's people who are supposed to be ambassadors of the kingdom are instead more passionate about and more listening to political thought, ideas, ideologies, and focuses, foci, I don't know, I'm making up words as I go, um, but they're more committed to that than they are to the vision that Jesus has laid out for them. They believe that what's most important is we get Joe Biden out and we get a Republican in. Or what's most important is we keep Joe Biden in and we don't let that crazy previous Republican get back in, right? Like you hear that all the time. And here's what it is. This is functional saviors that we hope will get us out of our functional hells and bring us into functional heavens, which is ultimately what idol worship is all about. Idol worship is, all right, 
I want this thing for my territory, my terrain, my culture, my country, right? So in the Old Testament, it was more territory and terrain. In our current times, it's going to be like a culture. And we go, okay, so what are the idols that can save me? And then we start looking at all the things where we go, if that went away, we're doomed. If that doesn't get a place, this culture dies. If we don't make sure this happens, it's all over. We need the certain economy. We need the certain military strategy. We need the certain political climate. We need these certain open doors. We need the sense of vision for equality or equity or whatever else. And here's where I want to be clear. Not all of those things are bad or wrong. In fact, some are good. And some of those things, I frankly believe, are kingdom-minded things. They are things we find in the Gospels that Jesus tells us to do that we would find kind of an alignment with the way politics also tries to accomplish those goals. So we would say like, yeah, there are things that are kingdom-minded things that you also find as values on the right and values on the left. But we need to be really good at remembering that neither the left nor the right embrace all the values of Jesus. Not even close. I know there's people that want to deny that. I know my Christian friends on the left go, no, the left is way closer to the values of Jesus. And my friends on the right say, no, uh, the, the right is way closer to the values of Jesus. And I go, they're not. They're not. Because it's kind of an all or none. This idea that we can parse Jesus out. Well, Jesus is a 60% Republican and 40% Democrat. This is super silly in some ways because Jesus is just Jesus. And his kingdom is the kingdom. And it has attitudes and heart as well as actions and ethics and morals. All of that is comprised in what the kingdom's all about. So the kingdom heart, in essence, doesn't get angry at the other side. It doesn't vilify the other side. The kingdom heart says every human being bears the image of God. Every human being has value in his sight. Every human being is to be reached out to. Every human being is to be loved in their space, no matter what they're doing, how they're doing it. We should not have all of these like loud cultural debates about other human beings. That's what politics does. That's what punditry does. That is not what the Christian should do because the kingdom is about reaching every person for Jesus, reconnecting the person with the image that they bear. Like that's to be the heart. You can tell I'm getting worked up about this, but, but, but I am because I'm reading this article and I'm thinking about this book and I see what he's trying to warn of and it already has barbs to it. It's already like those idiots that believe in critical race theory, those idiots that believe in intersectionality, these people that want to come in and destroy. And you're like, you're vilifying the very people you should be trying to reach out to. You're vilifying because it's coming into the church through pastors and other Christians. It's coming in through your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And you're not trying to correct in a spirit of love. You're not trying to correct in such a way as to come alongside. Basically, this dude's written a book. He's going to make some money. He's going to go on the speaking circuit and he's going to create more division, right? Because it's already there and it's already growing and, and the lines are just getting deeper, And this is where more than ever I look and and I think about the podcast last week. If Christianity can't unify, it dies. And part of the unification is saying, you know, we don't have to agree. Some things are gray, right? Or maybe before I, I feel the need to really disagree, I really need to understand it, right? Because here's something I've been working on lately, just because I'm like, okay, it's such a hot topic now. I'm going to go ahead and investigate it. So I've been looking into critical race theory, right? Because I'm seeing, you know, states are saying we're going to ban this material or curriculum. And I'm always like, as soon as government is banning stuff, see, like, it's just my nature is like, like, when government starts banning things, I sort of get nervous about that. 
And, and typically, conservatives get really nervous about government banning things. But here, conservatives are super stoked the government's banning stuff. So I'm like, this is really strange. It's weird how things kind of flip and flop sometimes. And so, you know, don't want government to get involved in things. Now we want government to get very much involved in things, right? So, so that's kind of going on. That, that, that's less the topic, but I just find it strange that many times the people that don't like government intervention are loving government intervention on the things that they want, right? But I had a different thing, which is, I don't even understand what it is, right? I'm hearing, you know, like uh, detractors and I'm hearing supporters and I'm like, I don't understand it. So I've spent now the last couple of weeks trying to listen to podcasts from those who are sort of the architects of critical race theory and intersectionality. I'm trying to read some stuff from some of the architects and everything else. And after a couple of weeks, frankly, I still don't understand it, right? So I kind of feel like until I can have a, a genuine sense of what it is, I want to kind of be cautious whether I go, it's awesome or it's terrible. I got, I don't understand what it is just yet. Right. Or what I'm understanding is which version of critical race theory. Like that's another one of those, like, well, it depends. You know, you talk to this person, they got a pretty outlandish, crazy version of it, but you talk to this person, they seem to have a little bit more of a sane version, which is no different than Christianity. Sometimes I talk to this person who's a Christian. I go, you seem like way out there, like tinfoil hat out there on some of this stuff. And I talked to another one like, man, you're my kind of Christian, right? So there can be all sorts of diversity in thought. I think even on these topics, there can be diversity of thought. And maybe that was my concern with this book, where what he tends to do is is lump everything into one, from what I can tell from the article. So it's like, if in any way you lean left, you're a leftist, right? And I think the same danger exists on the right. If in any way you lean to the right, you are a, a right-wing crazy. Like, it's almost like that. Like, everything is now so polarized. There, there is no demilitarized zone between the two parties. It's just a chasm, and everybody's far left or far right. And it gets said that way a lot. And the fatality of that is going to be then the effectiveness of the church, the effectiveness of Christian unity, brotherhood and sisterhood. All of that's what's going to get lost in the process, especially if we're sitting over on our camp stewing about the other side. If we're stewing about how leftism is invading the church or how the right has taken it over and controlled it for the last 50 years or whatever, and we get frustrated at that and we're angry at the others on the other side of those topics— then we're failing in our Christian duty, which is to above all pursue unity. And I know it's starting to sound like, you know, I don't know, last week's podcast a little bit, but but I, I think it maybe bears repeating a little bit in that sense too. And so maybe to kind of get back on topic, get back around to this, part of it, even saying that the danger is the left is invading the church. I, actually, the danger is people are leaving the church. I mean, this idea that the left is invading it. No, there's way more people leaving it than entering it. So I wish I could say the left was truly invading it. No, lots of people are leaving it. And, and then the ones that are staying that probably are leaning a little bit to the left, they're on a graduated scale, right? And so again, this is where I think the warning is somebody that wants to try to understand, is there a tool to be used in critical race theory? Um, don't take that person and say they are a Marxist now. Like you, you don't want to necessarily go that route because for me, I, my seminary, my current seminary that I'm doing further work through is a Southern Baptist seminary. And the Southern Baptists are going through a really deep divide right now over even this issue of critical race theory. I only, I'm probably bringing that up as 
an example right now uh, in this podcast today, just because it's kind of front and center to what I think is going to be the divide of the Southern Baptist Convention, where the black churches are going to leave and the white churches are going to stay. And then, you know, it, it's just going to be a divide. It's already kind of suiting up to be that way. And people that are jockeying to be president, they're running on this critical race theory should not be taught in our churches and seminaries thing. And I go, here's the problem again. You're defining, I want to run the Southern Baptists in large part because I don't want to see critical race theory, as opposed to, I want to run for the Southern Baptist to be president because I want them to be all about Jesus. And I want them to embrace the kingdom. And I want them to figure out how they can bring the kingdom to bear on the different struggles of our world. So racial struggles, there's a divide. What's the divide? There's a divide whether there is a racial struggle, right? So you got multiple divides. Some people say there is no racism. Other people say there's systemic racism. Uh, some people are saying, you know, this is all overblown. And other people are saying it's not blown over enough, you know, and, and everything. So you got those divides. And so you got a guy running that instead of trying to figure out how do I reach out into all of those things, he's just going to further a divide. And it's a principle that he is literally saying, I'm going to define myself by what our culture is for, and thus I'm against. And it's not really that biblical of a thing, frankly. I know they're playing it that way. Like, well, this is unbiblical. I'm like, it's not even a topic in the Bible. And there are some things that are true in the Bible, like all human beings are sinful. All human beings hate and have been hated. They're driven by their passions and pleasures. This idea that says there isn't bias in our world is unbiblical. Biblically, Titus 3, there's tons of bias in our world. There's tons of hatred in our world. There's tons of division. The reality is Jesus is constantly warning about don't rip people off because the temptation is to weigh your scales to your advantage. I mean, so there's this part of me that says when we go, there's no problems. Of course there's problems. The Bible supports that. There are liars, there's cheaters, there's deceivers inside the church, outside of the church. Doesn't matter. That is a problem. And we as kingdom people should be confronting that problem and all its shapes, sizes, and forms. And we shouldn't get as mired into the vocabulary that's being used. And so this, again, is my concern. I just feel like what we have now created in the evangelical world is an industry. An industry of outrage or an industry of name calling or an industry of pointing out the most dangerous thing that's coming to the church next is coming to a door near you, you know, and, and, and it's going to be this thing or that thing. And I go, no, the most dangerous thing is when we're not like Jesus. The most dangerous thing is when we don't take our responsibility to bring the kingdom to bear seriously, when we don't take the gospel seriously, when we don't take what it means to live as a different, unique and distinct type of people seriously, that should freak us out. When we define ourselves by our enemies or we define ourselves by our opponents or we define ourselves by our opposites, that's not Jesus. Jesus came into the world and the world was dark. And Jesus is light in the world and the world is dark. And you and I are reflectors of Jesus in the world and we're, not, we're meant to be light. And that means we should not get pulled in to the idols of the left or the idols of the right. We should not start thinking this is the only way we can save our world is through this principle or program or politician or politic or pundit or you name your P word, right? We don't want to do it that way. But rather we need to just really fixate. We, we, we need to pray through. We need to be driven by that idea again that it's, it's all about what Jesus calls us to do right? Everything Jesus asks of us is incredibly hard. None of it is self-preserving. None of it is going to be simple for us to do. None of it puts me first. That's for sure. I mean, in a, in a unique kind of culture, the United States is very unique. We have a constitution that basically is, it's all about you. 
You are number one. You are your own boss. You have independence. You don't bow to anybody else. You don't do what anybody else tells you to do. You are a free person. See, that is very contrary to what we read about when it comes to being a Christian under Jesus. Like Jesus is like, dude, it's almost the opposite of a lot of that stuff. You use your freedom to be a servant of all, right? Like that's what he says. It's not about you being first. It's worrying more about the other person than yourself. That's what it means to truly love. Like this is why, again, the very essence of the Christian life is memorialized in a cross, right? Jesus sets aside all of his rights and privileges, it says in Philippians 2. And he comes to be a servant and to be sacrificed for us all. Like that is our pattern. And I know as Americans, we every part of that is almost offensive to our politic. I get that. Like right now, some of you are probably listening or watching and you're feeling the ire. You're like, why are you beating up on our culture so much? I'm not beating up on it. My job as a pastor is not to placate and not to just pander to what people want to hear. My job is to say, this is what the Bible says. This is what Jesus asks. This is what we're supposed to do. It's either do that or get out, man. Like don't claim it if you don't want to do it. Don't try to piece it apart and be like, oh, I like these parts. Hate that part. If it lets me be self-righteous, awesome. If it lets me be judgmental, cool. If it lets me vilify half my culture, you're fine. Like that's not the Jesus way. The Jesus way is so utterly different that we should look at all the other systems left and right alike and just grieve for them. Grieve for them because we see it's just like wheel spinning in mud. It's, it, it's just trying to see sinners managing sinners with sinful things. I mean, just, just watch the news for 10 minutes when it comes to the gridlock of, of Congress, like you go, how are any of these people, um, like normal functioning people, as far as like they dig their heels on everything, they will agree about nothing. And, but that's the system now. It's, 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 the system is divide and you just hope you keep enough advantage to keep the other guys from doing too much damage. But that's not the Christian way. The Christian way is totally different. And if anything, I'm going to go a step further and say, do yourself a favor, unplug from any copious amounts of talk radio or news. You know, like I, I've gone in the last few years to just listening to sports radio, local sports radio. When I'm in the car, if I want to listen to something, I listen to local sports radio uh, for the most part. I listen to a lot of podcasts, but I try to stay away from the ones that are political um, because it's actually the preachers. They are preachers that are trying to stir up your passions. They're preachers that intentionally want you to think their message will save, right? So CNN wants you to think they're going to save you. And Newsmax wants you to think they're going to save you. Or their message, their gospels are what will save a culture. And, and, and so from that, we go, yeah, we listen to those preachers for hours a week. And then we maybe come to church, maybe watch church once a month, once every six weeks. Some are more faithful than that, but I was just reading another thing on the same website today that we need to prepare as pastors and churches for once a month, regular attenders, like the committeds are going to be once a month. Um, that's where I go, okay, so maybe once a month we're listening to that, and then the rest of the week we're listening to all the other things, the chaos, the calamity, the warnings. It's all very apocalyptic. If Trump gets back into office, we're doomed. If Biden isn't out, we're doomed, like I said earlier. So, we need to be different. We just need to be different. And that does require some effort. Jesus said it's a narrow door. It is a hard way to really live out this, this, this dream called the kingdom. But it's the only thing that will actually save our churches, right? If our churches become either right or left, Jesus, Jesus bolts. He bolts. If we're comfortable 
defining ourselves as Christians and churches as being left or right. And that's what's most important to us is making sure we get the left or the right vision across. Jesus will pull out. He's like, I, I didn't come to do that. That's just, you guys can have your country clubs of politics if you want. Jesus is here to change the world. And to change the world means we're less and less like the world all the time. Politics makes us act like the world more and more all the time. Our political convictions, if they get rooted deep in our heart, they get us more passionate than reaching lost people. It gets us more passionate than doing the right biblical kingdom thing. We're more, we're, we're blinded even by earthliness, thinking that it's godliness. That's where the Pharisees are at. That's one of the podcasts I'm going to do here in the near future that I think more than ever the American church is on the brink of being the modern Pharisees in ways that I've never seen before. I'll get to that sometime in the future. Not for today. I'm already at 35 minutes. All right. So, I'm going to wrap this up then at this point too. It's gone on long enough, right? And I've got other things I get to work on as well. But but I think you get my heart, right? I've probably kind of banged on this one enough. I think it's just absolutely critical that we don't start seeing the left is the enemy and the right is the savior or is the right is the enemy and the left is the savior because both of those are idols. They are idols. I cannot say it enough. Now, does that mean that you can't lean to one side or lean to the other, have opinions to the one side or opinions to the other? Sure you can. That's the gray area. But that's where I want to help us all keep this in mind. That's the gray area. You know, as I get older, I know more and more than I know less and less. And so what's critical is outside of something that is radically, obviously like black and white sin, I find that even words that people use are not necessarily the definitions they're holding in their mind that I would apply and all the more I need to do homework, right? So when somebody says something, I can't just be like, oh, then you're one of those, you know? It's like, no, what they mean and what I think they mean may be two very different things and I should not incite division over ignorance, right? I should not incite division over ignorance. I need to ask. I need to understand. I need to come together and reason together and reason from the scriptures together and, and see if these things have merit or they don't have merit. And, and I want to fight for consistency in all that I do, right? Because that's so critical. Uh, I've, I've been reading something lately that says we're all self-righteous hypocrites. And it's spot on. Every human being is a self-righteous hypocrite, right? So, you know, if, if our guy does it, we let it go. If their guy does it, we really get onto it. Like, we're all self-righteous hypocrites. But this is where we need to become more consistent. And our consistency is not to be consistently right or consistently left. It's consistently Christian, consistently Christ-like. When the conditions are good or bad, when things are set against me and I might lose things or when everything is set for me and I might gain things, it doesn't matter. It's all the same. I need to be content in Christ and I need to be consistent in Christ. And if we are consistent and we don't get pulled into the gravity well of all the political stuff today, but rather we make it about the person of Christ, then the world will see something different and then we will be functioning as great everyday missionaries.